Hey, folks, I'm Tom. KJ here. You've heard this before, but we're new and improved now, and so is the Dunlap Champions Club. It's back for another year. You know that. By now, if you have not been in there, I don't know what you've been doing, but we will remind you, this is always the best time to test drive. If you want to check it out, we have the spring game coming up April 18th, followed by a concert. Uh, good pricing to get in and see what you've been missing. A reserved chairback seat, access to indoor air-conditioned areas, always a good thing. All-inclusive food and soft drinks starting two hours before kickoff. Access, I love this part, to adult beverages and more. Funny that you would be the one to bring that up. Uh, the home schedule this year, obviously, when we get to the, the fall portion, uh, the, the meat of the actual football season, I guess I should say. Clemson and Florida are on the docket. Pitt coming to town for basically the first time since uh, since KJ played. Well, I guess shortly after you uh should we say retired? Finished. I, I wish finished. That's good. Finished. Anyway, uh, as far as the spring game goes, again, 5 o'clock kick on April 18th. And if you're a, a booster member already, a, a ticket holder in the Dunlap Champions Club, it's just 60 bucks to get in for that. Uh, if not, $80. But either way, uh, particularly if you're general public and have not sampled the Dunlap Champions Club, Champions Club it's the best way to do it. You Six, can schedule a private tour as well. So if you don't want to, if you want to buy after seeing, you can go in, take a good look, walk around, see what's going on. It's a big place, twenty thousand square feet of space, uh, can handle up to five hundred folks. If you've got other plans for other types of events that you want to schedule, it's worth the visit. Six four four eighteen thirty is the number to call. Now, without further ado, Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ back with you. Our favorite time of the week, also known as Front Row Knowles time. And Keith, we have breaking news as the NCAA continues to score well in the common sense department. Well, first of all, how are you, sir? Are you doing okay? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. And I know we haven't even rehearsed. You must be talking about that when I get my butt thrown out of a ball game for targeting, I can stay on the bench. That's not where I was going to start. Oh, man. But since you went there, is that really a big deal? I I think so, but. It's kind of insult to injury. Like, I just got kicked out of the game, but now I'm going to force you to sit there and watch it, and you can't go back in. And everybody else can holler at you. I'm lukewarm on that one. I'm not sure that that one does that much for me. I hear you. I still would say on targeting, we just need to do a uniform review on Sunday and then just let every school plan that week with or without the kid based on that. But that is not where I was starting. Where I was going to start, Keith, is that they've put a time limit on how long replay reviews can last. No, they haven't. In theory, they have. Yeah, I know. And I I do (laughs) – I feel like like the ACC is going to go on the outer limits of this from week one from the the outset. So explain. Exactly, exactly. It's a soft time limit or time frame. Go ahead and explain. They simply said that they want the reviews to be two minutes and under, and only in extreme, unusual circumstances should a review take more than two minutes. But unless and until they've got that kill switch that you know literally cuts off the communication, much like the coach's communication to the quarterback in the NFL, <clears throat> you know when that play clock, <clears throat> pardon me, when that play clock gets down to like ten seconds. The communication between a coach and the quarterback in the NFL cuts off. It's just done with. 
unless and until they do the same thing between the replay official and the referee on the field, I'm, I'm taking it as a suggestion, not as a mandate. Well, I do think, though, I, I think in practice they'll try to get there. The, the thing is, the ACC, they would tell you there's extenuating cir- circumstances on every replay review. But that aside, I, I like the idea because, A, it addresses the biggest concern, which is we're just – the games are too disjointed and we're slowing them down for too long. But that, once you've looked at review replays for two minutes and then you're looking at the same three or four or five angles for another two minutes, I mean, it's inconclusive. Just stick with the call you had on the field. What are you finding out in minutes three through five that you didn't already know in minutes zero through two to make a decision? I like the good first step. My suggestion would have been let's put a second official in the replay booth. And from the very beginning, that second official is only worried about what the clock time should be. So the primary person deals with the referee about the call, and then they don't have to go back and review it 17 more times to determine what the clock should be. Somebody's already been looking at that. It feels like you wouldn't even need to appoint another person. I mean, it could be somebody outside of the replay official that's in charge of that. Somebody at the conference headquarters could know that. But I I like the way you're thinking. And in the same vein, you might as well get a third guy up there who's telling you what yard line the ball was originally on that play was snapped to, to solve that time, too. I do like – this is the state of our times, Keith, that we are leading the show by talking about the minutia that is the rules-making process. But this does sort of continue a long line of late where the NCAA maybe is finally getting the message that they're outdated in a lot of their thought processes because they seem willing to take input from others and make adjustments. Well, and to be fair, and to be fair, they're rendering decisions in a quicker time frame than we've ever seen it in the past, i.e. eligibility for seniors that had their seasons cut short in the spring. So maybe progress is being made, all to the tune of not giving you another $350 million or whatever they shorted the universities on this year. Hey, we are going to talk about the big question, the elephant in the room, which is really two, is there going to be a football season? When will it start? We'll expand our conversation and we'll get an ACC perspective on that with a good friend of ours, West Durham. You see him on the ACC network. He'll join us in our next segment. Bob Ferrante will be here from the Osceola. As long as we started on the rules though, Keith, we might as well go down this path. So another rule change, you can no longer have multiple jerseys, i.e. number 12 on offense and defense, save for, I think there's two exceptions. So instead of being able to duplicate every number, Now you can only duplicate a couple, but they did add zero into the mix. And so I'll ask you, and I know my answer, which Seminole current, former, all-time is the best candidate to be a big football player wearing number zero? Deion Sanders. Because there ain't nobody else like him. No, to me, it's a big guy. It's Tim Jernigan who used to wear number (laughs) zero. And in the same way that you'd have centers wearing double zero in basketball, I feel like it's the 330-pound nose tackle or D-tackle that needs to get the zero. I like, I like your brain of thought. I withdraw my suggestion. So if you don't follow closely, I think most are aware, but the reason we got into this multiple number situation was recruiting because it gave coaches an opportunity to promise two guys that they could wear number one or number two or number 86 when they got to FSU. So, you know, that's how, that's how I ended up with 28. Because all during high school, I wore a particular number, and I, I asked for that number when I got to Florida State. 
And I was politely told no, that it belonged to somebody. And that somebody was Wally Woodham. He wasn't going to give up his number. <laughs> I thought that's how you got to 26, since that's what I see in the media guide routinely, KJ. That's my freshman year. I don't know where that comes from. They can't even get updated. Of course, that's 40 years ago. What do I expect? That's the only that's the only image they have left of you from your playing days, Keith. Exactly. All right. The other rule change I think that I saw is and I've seen this happen. Really, this happens in rivalry games more than anywhere else. It's happened in the Miami FSU game a handful of times. Right now, the officials come out and 60 minutes before kickoff, you know, they start that clock. And that's basically when the officials, it's their jurisdiction and players have to teams have to stick to certain sections of the field. And what, what's happened over the years is when, when teams want to or players want to show their manhood, they'll go over and catch passes in the non-Miami section of the warm-ups, i.e. the FSU section of the warm-ups. Remember this happening with Miami uh, related to Roberto Aguayo, as a matter of fact, when three yep. guys were, were going after Aguayo. <clears throat> so they now have extended that so that the referees will be out there 90 minutes before kickoff to try and head off some of this. Oh boy. I know. It's minutia. They also did say, and I feel like once the clock has started, guys are wearing numbers and jerseys, but they did specify that you have to have an identifiable number on. So, i.e., last year when FSU wasn't out there with pads and jerseys, that would know for some of their pregame warm-up. You can't do that anymore, and that's because the refs need to know who was the offending party so I can write down the number. That's why they passed Exactly. Exactly. Did I, did I catch all the rules changes? I think you're on top of everything, Mr. Block. By the way, we're coming up on eight minutes. We could have done four replay reviews in this session that we've just discussed. No, we'd have done two and a half. You know damn well the ACC would still be trying to figure out the yard line. <laughs> All right, what else is going on, Keith? Did you watch the uh, the MJ documentary the other night? I did not. I did not. The only thing that's coming up, Tommy, and we've talked about this, the only thing coming up, that is of my interest is, of course, the NFL draft uh, with Cam and uh, Stanford and a, a couple of other kids that might sneak in there from Florida State's perspective. But as all of us, without live sports going on, it's just kind of hard to, to focus and stay up to speed with things. Related to Cam, he's going to be a steal for whoever gets him. I really like Cam. And I know running backs don't go first round and he's not projected as the top back or anything like that. But he was incredibly hardworking, always willing to speak after the game, which is why media end up liking a guy maybe more than a, another guy just because he's accountable. But separate that, I, I just think that he's got a really bright future ahead, especially when you see him as somebody that, you know, if he's in the third or fourth round, and I don't know where he's projected, if he goes down that low, I think somebody's getting a real steal. I agree, and he's of the same mold as Dalvin and, and – um... You know, he's smaller in stature, but he's compact. He's very powerful. He can run between the tackles if he has to, but he's got enough speed to get outside, can catch the ball, is very bright, can pick up on the pass pro and those types of things very quickly. Uh, I think his future is very, very bright, and I agree with you. I know running backs are not going at the same premium they were 10 or 20 years ago, and that's unfortunate from a monetary standpoint. But from a production standpoint, a teammate standpoint, and potentially, you know, supporting the program and being the face of a program if he gets into the right situation. Uh, he's an all-star. 
Yeah, so I wish him well. The draft, I'll probably watch the draft just because it's something to do. I can't believe going back to the uh, MJ doc that you haven't watched that. Of course, you could just wait. I mean, they're stretching this out over five weeks. So you could be down at the beach and uh, you could watch all 10 episodes in, in one sitting, Keith, to, to get it. Isn't that how we're supposed to watch television these days? Isn't that what everybody's doing is they, they wait for a series to come out, get the first or second year behind them, and then they sit down and they binge watch for periods of time on end? I normally don't have time to binge watch, but, yeah, that's how Laura and I got through Tiger King, and we've got some other series that we're uh, into now. But, yes, binge, binge watch is the thing. Is Lion King next, by the way? No, we the Lion King came a few years ago since my kids were younger at that point. So we're through the Is Kangaroo yeah. coming out? What's next? Stop. Please stop. Let me remind our folks before they tune out that Madison Social has been a longtime supporter of the program. I told you last week they have $10 buffalo chicken salads on Wednesdays. You can go to Centrale on Thursdays for a $10 small pizza, 15 bucks for a large pizza. Obviously, you uh, can get it delivered via Uber Eats or whatever your uh, transportation mode is. You can go pick it up. Also, check out Social Catering. You can get a gift card there. Uh, spread some joy to others in these uh, in these tough times. Sounds like a plan, right, Keith? That it does. That it does. We will take a break, come back, widen this conversation. Wes Durham from the ACC Network, good friend of the program, will join us right after this on Front Row Knowles. Stay with us. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom and KJ with you. We're going to open up the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Say hello to Wes Durham. And, uh, Wes, it's always good to have you join the program. I hate that it's in these circumstances. You were just relating to Keith that last time you saw him, you were about to call the Clemson basketball game in the ACC tournament, and then you were supposed to be in Tallahassee this past weekend for the spring game. So that's that's an 0 for 2 that we're all still struggling to come to grips with. Yeah, we are, aren't we? Uh, it's it's great to be with you guys, and it is uh, this is unique circumstances for sure. But um, I think uh, I was disappointed not to be there to see Coach Norvell's team go through their spring game. But I think EJ Manuel is probably the most disappointed of us all because he was going to get to work with Eric Wood and I, and he was he was already gunned up about it. The email hadn't hit my box thirty seconds back in early March, Tom, and all of a sudden I had EJ's text going, "Hey, man, we're going to do the spring game." <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, no, I, I hate it for everybody involved in this. But at the same time, I hope we're all, you know, kind of hanging in there. And uh, maybe we can get on the other side of this sooner than later. Let's hope so. It's uh, real is the word that I keep going back to. But, obviously, the, the conversation, for the, even for the last three weeks, Wes, has really moved to two questions. Will it be a football season? And if so, when will it start? So, Let's begin our conversation there. You're plugged in at the ACC and with the ACC Network. I know that every school and conference is looking at a myriad of options, but ultimately the virus is the one that's controlling the timeline. Well, that's a, that's a very fair point, and I think it's also we kind of got to set up some guidelines here uh, or milepost, if you will. I think that's really the important thing to remember. Number one is that 
the five conference commissioners, and Keith and I were there when they shut down basketball, those five conference commissioners shut down college basketball, and they're more than likely going to be the ones that bring college football to us and tell us when. And I say that in deference to several other things. Number one, and I'll use Florida as the example there, um, the state of Florida and its university system, Florida State, Florida, North Florida, you know, all the, all the state universities, if you will, are going to operate under one set of circumstances, requirements, things like that. Miami's a private school, guys. They can operate as if they want to. So how different are those silos? That's, that's the first milepost. Second milepost is this. Rarely in college athletics do we see the combination of states and um, university systems and governments all come together. So what may be true in Florida may differ in Georgia, may differ in North Carolina, Virginia, on up the ACC footprint. You follow me so far? So let's say, for instance, that Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina have some decent numbers in terms of getting around the virus. Well, what does that mean in Virginia? What does that mean in Massachusetts, New York, Pennsylvania, so on and so forth? Kentucky, if you will. I think we're going to have to start thinking about it in those lights. Um, I've talked to enough athletic directors, though, Tom and Keith, to tell you this. They want to play college football and they want to have a season. Everybody says, well, of course they do for the economics of it. It's not the economics of just their department. You guys know this in Tallahassee. Football is a community event in Tallahassee, Florida. It's a community event in Raleigh, North Carolina. It's a community event wherever major college football is played because it not only provides the economics for those respective schools, but think about all the businesses in Tallahassee that benefit from home football Saturdays at Doe Campbell. That's why they want to have college football because it's about – it's about the economy. It's about our country coming back to normal. Wes, there appears to be two backstops that might be a little bit non-negotiable. Number one, based on the conversation that the 10 commissioners and Hancock had with Vice President Pence, they basically said, we don't want to play football if school is not in session. Right. One. And number two, maybe to a lesser degree, but also prevalent, we don't want to play college games if there are not people in the stands. What do you think about those two benchmarks? I think those are very fair. And again, it goes back to what I just said, Keith, about the economy of those communities and the economy of those areas. I mean, you know, you guys know, I mean, the, the Florida State football at Doe Campbell Stadium has to have people in the seats. Um, and we have to wait. And if we have to wait, we have to wait. You know, it's okay. I mean, but I feel confident in talking to ADs that they want to play in – they're talking to their presidents. I mean, Mr. Coburn's talking to Dr. Thrasher. I mean, the same conversation in some semblance is occurring at other institutions. And I understand the hesitation about the way that the, the nation wants to do it, and I'm okay with that. If, if we start college football hypothetically in December or January, that's when we start it. Um, but I think they really want to play, and I think they want to play for – the, the betterment of, uh, of us as a country as much as the betterment of those institutions. And I think, Keith, to those effects, I think we have to be in school. I think we have to have students on campuses. And everybody's got to have a degree of confidence there, too. And for those of our listeners that may not be aware, because they've got their head in the sand, but Wes is also the voice of the Atlanta Falcons. One of the other things that has come out yeah. is that the difference between the college game and the pro game. The, the pros can play without people in the stands because their TV contract is lucrative enough. But the colleges might not be able to because in addition to ticket sales, 
you have the corresponding booster contributions. And, and we had a, a couple of folks on in, in prior shows that basically talked about Florida State generates twice as much money from ticket sales and boosters than they do from TV revenue. That is not the case at the professional level. No, that's exactly right. You, you've outlined it perfectly. Uh, the NFL can continue on this schedule, and people are kind of amazed. Well, they're going to go through with the draft. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. Sure, because quite frankly, uh, the National Football League can figure it out as they go along. If, if you were to tell, you know, the Atlanta Falcons and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, for Gene and mine's benefit, if you will, hey, guys, you're not going to play at Raymond James. Or you're not going to play at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Instead, you're going to play at Valdosta State. Well, guess what? They're going to play at Valdosta State, and they're going to show it on television, and people are going to watch. And uh, if Tom Brady throws to Rob Gronkowski at Valdosta with Keanu Neal defending a Deion Jones, and that's what's going to happen. Um, remember now, the National Football League doesn't have a problem playing in Europe. They don't have a problem playing. Uh, in fact, I did the last American Bowl in Tokyo on radio in 2005. The National Football League, the minute they pops up on the screen is when the, and the register starts ringing, to your point, and they will figure it out. I am firmly convinced. Now, I don't know that they will figure it out to start in September, but they will figure it out, I'm sure. Wes, I don't want to drag you into the weeds specific to Florida State, but for context, and I'm sure you saw this quote, Florida State had a University Board of Trustees meeting last Friday, and Director of Athletics David Coburn gave an update, as all the university top administrators always do at the Board of Trustees meetings. And specific to the budget, he said, we're looking at a lot of this different scenarios, and one of them includes no football. And then he paused and he said, God save us if that's the scenario. Right. Which obviously, as I heard it, coming from a media background, I said, well, there's the headline and the soundbite for everybody. But that is the reality. I, I don't know how many schools could survive and keep their programs intact if they don't get the football revenue at all. So that's the first part. And then the second one, I'm just curious overall, and I don't want to get into specifics with FSU. We haven't gone down this road yet. Is, is there a baseline number of sports that every ACC institution has to compete in? You know, is that another variable on top of Title IX and budget to consider in terms of conference membership? Do you have to compete in X amount of sports? It's a really good question. I don't know that, that anybody's got the clean answer yet, Tom. I think what we've seen in the last couple of weeks is some fascinating stuff, though. Number one, uh, I think one of the most fascinating elements that we've seen is the waiver that the other conferences have asked for in relationship to scholarship and football attendance and things of that nature. I, I thought that was something that didn't get nearly as much attention as, as I would have liked to have seen. Because to me, that's a separation of the Power Five and the, and the other group. Uh, and I think there's something to be said about the future of college athletics as it relates to that. The second part of what David Coburn said is on the mind of every athletic director of major college athletics. Because if you go by and look at some of the data that's been released since we went through this quarantine process, uh, the one graphic that really stuck out to me was the list of schools whose basketball revenue is bigger than their football revenue. And there were two ACC schools on that list of about seven or nine schools, and the two were Duke and Syracuse. Everybody else, everybody else has bigger football revenue than they do basketball revenue. And I think that shows you the premium in Power Five that we have to be cognizant of. I mean, it's easy to say at Florida State. I think people would be surprised to hear that about, say, North Carolina. 
but their football revenue is is much larger than their basketball revenue. I, I think what we have to start thinking of is if we're going to have these schedules, and let's just assume we're all going to play, we just don't know when, right? How much on top of one another are we going to stage these sports? And, and what's that going to do to the things Keith was talking about earlier, contributions, ticket sales, revenue, um, premium opportunities, things of that nature. Uh, what does it do to the schedule if we play 10, not 12? Uh, how does that look for somebody like Florida State? I mean, you don't go to Boise. Um, you know, and, and what does it mean in the relationship to Notre Dame? I think all that stuff is on the table, unfortunately, in 2020 as we move closer and closer to harder decisions to be made. Wes, the other side of the revenue side is the expense side, and you mentioned Boise, Florida State's second scheduled opponent, uh, opponent in 2020. They, this week, announced furloughs, yeah. and it includes their coaching staff. Yeah. yeah, and they're not the only ones, Keith. I mean, Vince Tyree at Louisville had to make some difficult decisions on furloughs this week, and I don't think we have the full details on that. Um, the longer the unknown is on this, I think the much more common that's going to be. Um, I mean, look, this is hard, and you guys are in business. You know, Keith, especially. This is not easy for people in business, period. Um, and the idea of major college athletics, and I'm sure you guys have talked to, to David enough, you know, these athletic departments, for the most part, are 501c3 status. And they are zero-budget situations based on contributions and scholarships and things like that. They're not inherently designed to have a well full of money available for something like this to occur without some sort of support. Well, and, and you guys know better than I do, the other things that are going on down there from the changes of the way athletics is structured to all the different pieces in the university that are being reset from a financial perspective may add to some of the, uh, some of the distress on this. And I, I think that's some of the stuff that also has come back into play a little bit for some of these institutions not just Florida State, but others around the country as well in Power Five. The reality is it, it, it's all unknowns, and David Coburn and President Thrasher would know better than Keith and I, certainly, but you got federal stimulus dollars, and to me, just reading as a layman, there's ambiguity about whether the, the dollars going to institutions can be used towards athletics. I mean, half of it has to go to students. Can the other half go anywhere in the university? I don't know the fine print on that. In the case of the state of Florida, where tourism is – pretty big revenue source, our sales tax projections are not going to be very healthy for a few months, which means the governor is going to wait as long as possible to look at that budget, and he's probably going to line item veto several things. And on the FSU side of the ledger, you know, Florida State's hoping it's not appropriations that are coming to state university schools. So there's just a lot of variables out there right now. Well, and I think that's why, and again, I point to the, the Power Five commissioners here, and you guys, we've talked about them quite a bit since the since the college football playoff was formulated, but I don't think we ever realized the full throttle of their power, right? And I think we're going to go back and start looking in ways, and I can tell you this from a scheduling standpoint, I've talked to coaches at all different levels of Division I, uh, non-football Division I, FCS football Division I, Power Five, Group of Five Division I coaches, and athletic directors. I've tried to kind of stay in touch because – I think what we have to be prepared for in the world we work in is what the, what's that new world going to look like? We know what the old world was, right, Keith? Go to Boise, Idaho, think nothing of it, get on the plane, fly basketball teams across the country, play three games, come back, whatever the case may be. I'll give you, I'll give you one of the things. I think scheduling um, 
in sports beyond football are really going to be given a hard look. Um, you know, for a basketball team to get on a plane and fly across country to play three games, what's the expense based on the revenue? And, you know, and I'll take baseball and softball. I mean, those are very successful programs in Tallahassee. Soccer is a very successful program in Tallahassee. What are those sports going to look like from a scheduling standpoint? I, I talked to a Division One baseball coach the other day who had, quote, money games set up in 2021. He said, there's absolutely no way in this world we're going to get on a plane and fly two time zones to play baseball because we think we might make a couple thousand dollars more than we would, you know, going down the road to play NC State for three or North Carolina for three or whatever the case may be. I, I think scheduling is going to be one of the economic deals that's, uh, that's really going to be given a fair look when we come out on the other side. Do you think will make us do games not being there? I, I just can't get past that yet. Have you done any of those yet, by the way? Uh, I've done some baseball games from a studio. I almost did a basketball game one time, but I have never done a football game from a studio that I wasn't in attendance to, and I've never done a basketball game I wasn't there. Um, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. I think it's something we have to think of. I think it's – I think there's some – we have no idea. Um, and it, it's really interesting. I don't know how much you guys have watched of the world stuff going on with baseball coming back in the Far East and things like that. Um, I'm as curious as anyone to see – and you mentioned my work in the NFL – I don't know if they're going to play preseason games. I'm, I'm kind of half joking about the pay, uh, the Bucks and Falcons playing in Valdosta, but the reality of it is if, if that were to happen, would they let us go? Would they let us be on site? I mean, and that's the next thing we also have to ask, too, about our constituency. And pardon me for using the old brother word here a little bit, but we're going to need to know what our constituency's confidence is coming back to live events, guys. I mean, that's something that – you know, we got used to carrying clear bags and having our bags checked when we walked in stadiums. In all honesty, do we know they're not going to scan our forehead when we walk in the next time? Don't know. Don't know. Talking with Wes Durham, the voice of the Falcons from ACC Network, veteran play-by-play announcer. Wes? We sound old, Tom. <laughs> I, was trying to, I was trying to walk that line, Wes. It, it's not old. You're, you're, you're just mature at this point. You're not old yet. <laughs> And we're all in the same boat, by the way. Yeah. Do you think that uh, this goes back to sort of the NFL, which has a commissioner and can and can move more nimbly than what college athletics has been able to do just because you've got all these different conferences and their commissioners are all uber powerful. Are we any – will we be any closer as a result of this to maybe, uh, you know, a, a commissioner of college football or some sort of structure like that? Or will this – lead to maybe trimming some of the fat or it's, it feels like it's elevating the, the timeline to get to an extended college football playoff. Uh, there's a lot here. I mean, it could hasten the discussion about group of five versus power five. It just feels like ultimately this could get us more quickly down the line or force some of those conversations. Um, for me, I'll be honest with you. Um, I, uh, I'm looking at it in a, in a variety of different ways. I think that we have to look at the difference in power five, group of five, number one. Um, I think that's the, that's number that's job one. The second part is this. I think that the college – you're talking about a commissioner in college football, and I think a commissioner in college football has to be the second job. The first commissioner we got to have is somebody to run college basketball and its relationship to the NBA. 
and we all know why. That that thing's got to be managed a lot better. But I, I do believe that what's going to transpire out of this in some way is that the Power Five institutions are going to draw closer together and potentially separate themselves a little bit more from the NCAA than they already are. I, I thought Keith and I were sitting in Greensboro, and when Mark Emmert came out on Wednesday afternoon, and said, I have elected to stage the NCAA tournament without fans. John Swafford told Mark Packer and I on Thursday morning that they, they got that in an email. There was no phone call. How about that? The NCAA sent you an email saying we're not going to allow fans. So then when those five commissioners the next day elected to stop their postseason tournaments, Tom and Keith, they didn't tell the NCAA. The NCAA read it just as those five leagues stopped it. And later that afternoon, the NCAA was forced to cancel their tournament. Now we've come to find out from a business perspective, the reason they canceled the tournament was to activate the insurance policy. But the idea that those five commissioners, and that's why I pointed to those guys at the front, I I think those five commissioners and Jack Swarbrick of Notre Dame are carrying a lot bigger stick than people realize right now in major college athletics. And a final question for you, and then we'll let you get going. I don't know what the timeline was or what you thought in your mind about when Swafford might retire, but if that was imminent, does this add another couple of years or does it change his timeline at all? You have any insight you can share with us on that? I, you know what? I, I hadn't really thought about the commissioner retiring because when I, I, you know, it, it crossed my mind. Somebody asked me that right after the television network was launched because they remember Mike Slive worked a couple of years after the SEC network was launched and then he retired. Um, and certainly uh, the former commissioner's health, I think had some uh, expedited some of that decision. I don't think I think John Swafford genuinely enjoys being the commissioner of the Atlantic Coast Conference and also growing the brand of this league. Um, you know, a couple of years ago when Clemson won the national championship in football, Virginia in basketball, and we had a baseball you know national title. Uh, Florida State had won softball. I mean, a lot of that stuff just kind of you know waved and waved over the top of his uh, of his work. I, but I don't, I don't sense that he's ready for retirement yet. I, I think he is genuinely engaged. And in talking to the athletic directors, I think he's excited about working with new athletic directors, whether it be a guy who's changed his role like a David Coburn or people like John Curry at Wake Forest and Boo Cargan at NC State and Martin Jarman at, uh, at, at Boston College. I, I think he genuinely has enjoyed it. Dan Radakovich, who I work for at Georgia Tech at Clemson, he and I talked about the commissioner's enthusiasm last fall, and I, I still see a lot of that. So I don't, it may be, but I'm not getting that sense at all that he's ready to go. Well, that's maybe the most important thing, and maybe our listeners aren't aware, but your daughter is actually a student at Florida State. How is she doing, and how is she doing? We can't call it, uh, let's see, we call it remote learning. We don't call it long-distance learning because it was supposed to be face-to-face. How's she doing? She's doing very well. I'm very proud of Emily. She uh, graduates this spring. Uh, summa cum laude in public policy and political science. She has had a wonderful experience at Florida State. I uh, can't say enough about the incredible support she's gotten. She's been very active in SGA. And uh, like most seniors and like most kids who were scheduled to graduate, incredibly disappointed she didn't get to spend a spring semester and do the senior things you get to do and then certainly walk on May 2nd at the Tucker Center. And uh, But she turned 21 yesterday. She and her twin brother, Will, who is a junior at Kennesaw State, uh, they both turned 21 yesterday, and I was able to see them for the first time since March, uh, since I, I came home on the quarantine. But uh, she's doing really well. She's gotten over the emotional 
tough bit though. You know, when you miss your senior semester, your last semester, it's a, it's a hard thing, but, uh, she loved Florida State and had a great experience and uh, has nothing but really fond memories of Tallahassee. Well, happy birthday to them and congratulations to her. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. And and Seminole Boosters is on line one for, for her and you, Wes. Just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, tell, tell Andy I got money, but it's in the registrar's office. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Wes Durham from the ACC. Hey, Wes, we appreciate the perspective. You know, a lot of us are all sitting around. I hope that the next time that we see each other, by the way, it's not via Zoom and it's actually in a press box or courtside somewhere. All right, be safe. All right, guys, thank you so much. It's always great to visit with you. Uh, Very enjoyable always. Take care and stay well, okay? You too, Wes. Thank you. We'll have more on Front Row Knowles right after this. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Big thanks to Wes Durham for joining us for that perspective, and we always look forward to Whoever joins us from the Osceola, as uh, it's time for our Osceola Insider segment, we'll reopen the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. And say hello to Bob Ferrante from the Osceola. Hey, Bob, how you doing? Doing well. How are you guys? I have never looked more forward to the NFL draft because it's something to do other than watch paint dry, Bob. That's where I am right now. <laughs> It's been a weird week because I felt myself, I was watching the WNBA draft on Friday and then the Jordan documentary on Sunday night. It felt good to have something new to watch besides kind of going through YouTube and watching those old games. So, yeah, the NFL draft gives us uh, three really good nights of something to talk about, something to look forward to, and, and why teams were picking this guy or that guy. Oh, it's not so bad. I've gone to YouTube and looked at my old games when I was skinny, and then I get frustrated and I go back and eat something. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Keith, further solidifying I, I, that you that you're out of touch here. I let you off the hook in the first segment. You're the only human being in America that didn't watch the Jordan documentary the other night. I just want you to know that. That's probably true. Well, certainly the only one that does any kind of a sports talk show that didn't watch it. But anyway. I digress. Let's talk draft here, Bob. What's Cam Akers? You know, this is certainly different, not surprising than what it was a few years ago when Florida State had, you know, 10, 12, 15 guys that that might get their name called. Certainly not that way this time around. And Cam is the headliner. I I commented to Keith in the first segment. I think everybody loves Cam, having seen him play, just his work ethic, his team attitude. To me, he's going to be a star. He's going to make whoever drafts him very happy. Cam strikes me as a self-made man. All of his yards pretty much came after contact. You know, I think Pro Football Focus came out with a number that, that basically of his 4.9 yards per carry on average, about 3.9 yards were, were after an initial contact. So what he's generated has been through his hard work, through his physical style, you know, breaking arm tackles, he, he's more physical running, I think, between the tackles than, than maybe we've given him credit for. And 
think honestly because the offensive line hasn't been very good at all. But he's a guy who, you know, talking with his high school coach a couple of weeks back, um, really appreciates the work ethic, the hard work there that that the guy is going to put in that time. You, you know, you're you get the feeling that he's a first round talent, but he's going to be that second round, maybe early third round kind of gem that the team is going to pick up. And they're going to be really happy with him for a long time. You're, you're going to get good value out of that that rookie contract that goes four years, maybe five with that, that option that the club has. And, and his coach, Judd Boswell told me that he's had, he had a lot of visitors right before the sports world shut down. You know, a lot of teams were coming into, you know, Mississippi unannounced, um, you know, asking questions about Cam. What was he like? What was his work ethic? You know, was he, was he complaining about the situation at Florida state? You know, was he down about, how the offensive line was playing and things like that. And, you know, to, to Cam's credit, he's always kind of taken the high road and worked hard and rehabbed from that ankle injury. And I, I think teams are, are going to see that, you know, maybe he's not the biggest back, maybe he's not the fastest, but most people have him as about the number five back in this draft class. And that probably puts him at really good value starting in that second round where I think a lot of teams are going to really look at him. Well, Bob, that leads to the next question. What's what's the rumor mill about where he's headed? Who's who's creating the most buzz uh, and looking at him? There's a lot of chatter about Pittsburgh that he kind of feels like like he could be a Pittsburgh Steeler type. I think they draft right around 50 in the second round. I've seen mock drafts have him going anywhere from about there all the way into the third round at around 104. I think the Rams were, were one of the teams suggested there. Tampa Bay has been a hot team, a lot of discussion there that, you know, they're looking for a young back to, to put around Tom Brady. And now, you know, Rob Gronkowski signing there too. They, they've got to kind of build around those veterans. I don't know if Cam Akers is that number one guy right out of the box, you know, year one, year two. But I think in the NFL these days, you're looking for two backs anyway. You're looking for that small committee of guys. And I see Cam as a guy who could do a little bit of everything. Um, he can definitely catch the ball out of the backfield. I think he can be used more than, than the coaches you know, really showed of him here at Fourth State. So he's a really interesting prospect to me. Well, there's also the thing that you know, uh, a back at the NFL level has X number of touches and if you use all those touches up early, then their career gets shortened. But if you kind of space them out and use them uh, a little bit sparingly in the early years, you know, it, it kind of extends the career. So I, I don't know if that's a true statement per se, but certainly that's a thought process. I subscribe to that theory too. You, you want to have two backs to kind of split that, that load and, and limit the injury. Of course, most backs would love to come out after their junior year of college because you're getting into the NFL faster, the, the wear and tear on your body. You know, you're, you're wearing on the NFL's dime as they're paying you and you're trying to get to that second contract. Again, I, I think those days, you know, we, we've seen running backs wear out by 30. It just seems like 30 is that magic number where, where even the best will, will decline. But, but Cam just strikes me as a guy who's going to jump in somewhere either where you've got an established veteran or maybe he could become that number one guy where you've got an older veteran as a number two. Um, I, I'm very curious to see where he goes. I, I think 
he's going to be very successful just about wherever he goes, though, honestly. That's what I think, too. Unfortunately, Bob, after you, we hear Cam's name called, there's, there's not a lot out there in Garnet and Gold. What else might we expect in terms of this draft? Really, the two to watch are, are probably Stanford Samuels at third and Levante Taylor. And Stanford's being looked at as potentially as high as the fifth round, but realistically, you know, waiting into the sixth or seventh round. Uh, Levante, just because of his size, probably more of a free agent pickup. You know, with, with Stanford, it's you really like the measurables, the guys in that 6'1", 185 range, which is pretty close to ideal. His speed is certainly not there, and a lot of his tape is, is very inconsistent. I think with Stanford, you're trying to figure out, is this the guy that you, you know, take a flyer on sixth or seventh round and, and, and hope for the best? I, I was really curious with him. He, he ran a very poor uh, combine 40, and his agent claimed that they did a treadmill stress test the night before, which really affected Stanford running the next day on the turf at Indy. They snuck in very quickly before sports was shut down. They were able to do a kind of a pro day workout down in Miami so that they could videotape it. And I think a lot of agents are, are, they were able to do that and use that videotape to then send it out to the NFL teams just as a reminder of, Hey, maybe what you saw at Indy wasn't, wasn't great, but Stanford really showed you what he could do again. So I think they're, they're wild cards. You know, how do they fit as a defensive back in what an NFL team is doing? I view Stanford as a corner. I view Levante maybe as a nickel type. Um, I I don't think they're going to fit in everywhere. That's the big thing. It's just going to be, did you like enough of their film? Can you figure out how to coach them and, and maybe take them? Are they a backup type? Are they a potential starter down the road? They're, they're developmental picks. We're talking with our Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante. I'll remind you, go to theosceola.com. You can subscribe for just $6.95 a month. That's basically uh, that's half as much as your coffee habit if you're stopping there every day, right, guys? Hey, Bob, Keith and I talked about uh, – We matter of fact, we rejoiced. In theory, there's now a two-minute limit on replay review in college football. Now, Keith pointed out because – he always reads the fine print. You know, he is in risk management, so he's reading the addendums to every contract. That it's a suggested two minutes. It's not a hard and fast two minutes. So what do you think about that or any of the other rule changes that they announced this week? I, I kind of giggled at the, the fact that it was called a guideline. I, I like that it's called a guideline. I, I wish they had made it an outright rule because, like you guys, I, I feel like the pace of the game has, has been impacted by – these instant replays that seem to take forever and ever. Um, we, we've talked about this. I'm in agreement with you guys, you know, 90 seconds or two minutes. If you can't figure it out, move on. The other one I think was, was somewhat significant was the targeting uh, ruling. Unfortunately, not changing it, just altering that a player doesn't have to go to the locker room. He can stay on the sideline. And, you know, perhaps if that's a veteran player, that's a guy who can be a coach on the sideline and, and coach up the guy who's in the game and in place of him. I like that ruling. I think the only other one that was of some significance was those multiple jersey numbers where you see guys, you know, a bunch of twos and threes. They're going to limit how many of those overlapping numbers you can have. So I think some positives there. I really wish we had better 
improved targeting legislation. Um, I think too often these are these are plays that, like you guys say, maybe we need to review them on Sunday or Monday and then act accordingly. But during the game, they, they look like good football hits, good football plays. Um, I know, Keith, you've got some strong, strong kind of feelings on that too. Oh, have I ever expressed that? I'm not, I'll have to think about that. <laughs> Bob is putting it on a tee for us, but see, we already started the show by trying to advance our targeting theory, Bob. So, uh, which is the, just review it on Sunday, stop wasting our time on Saturday. But anyway, that one's out there. I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to stump for that one right now. Golden Knoll awards are going on virtually this week, which honors uh, top Florida state student athletes for work outside of their sport. And other than that, Bob, we're just in this wait-and-see mode to, to see where we go from here. Give us a date. Tell us there's a game. Tell us there's something. Yeah, it's it's been a weird couple of weeks in that regard, too. I, I think I appreciate the Golden Knoll Awards has gone virtual because it's, it's honoring the best and brightest from, you know, academics and leadership and not just how you perform on the field. You know, on, on Friday last week, I thought it was interesting. David Coburn did meet with the board of trustees and he, he gave a pretty significant amount of updates there as far as financials. And I think bottom line is people are being creative and that's, that's one positive at FSU, the ACC, the NCAA, everybody's trying to figure out solutions to not just the health and safety of everybody, getting them back on campus or potentially getting them in a stadium, but these financial problems that are facing everybody in the country, we're seeing furloughs at Boise and, and you know, people are taking pay cuts at Syracuse and Louisville. Everybody's trying to figure out what the solutions are. It, it's good to hear that everybody's being active in that regard. But as Coburn has said, there really aren't any good solutions here. There's, there's just kind of the ones that you can live with, really. Yeah, I do wonder when all said and done – so as he as he put it last week, you know the if the the no football scenario is not a good one, we all know that. I wonder though, assuming we get football, and I do think we will. I just wonder how much I, I hate to use the term fat trimming, but that's what it is. Anytime you have this, if you run a business, you got to analyze your expenses and figure out, you know, is it justified? I wonder if there's not going to be casualties in in terms of of sports that whether it's Florida State or elsewhere that, you know, and the reality is when you look at the non revenue sports. They're not, they're not fifteen or twenty million dollar holes in your budget. They're eight hundred thousand to two million dollars, but that's still real money. And so I wonder if ultimately there will be some, I don't know if you want to call them mid course corrections or fine tuning, but but ultimately sports become casualties of this. And again, this is where administrators have to get super creative. I think a couple of things that you could look at, you know, one in particular is can you defer compensation for your high earning coaches? You know, yes, you could offer them a furlough or a pay cut. Could you defer at a low interest, a, a high multimillion dollar head coach or assistant coach? You know, that's one option. One other option with the Olympic sports is maybe you're not playing ACC schedules. Does Florida state need to travel to Boston or Syracuse and, that's a flight. That's a two or three night hotel stay. Does Florida state maybe in some sports and do other 
schools come to this realization too, that maybe you play a geographically favorable collection of, of schools, you know, in Florida state's case, do you play, let's call it a Florida panhandle, um, Alabama type of league where you're playing a Troy state, a South Alabama, North Florida, a Jacksonville, you know, maybe that's your tennis schedule, your golf schedule, your swimming competition. How many hundreds of thousands of dollars across then multiplying that across multiple sports can you save? Again, I think we're just kind of getting into that. Let's be creative and, and nobody wants to hear about a solution like that. Because I think Florida State would love to play the conference competition in every sport, but it's just not going to be financially feasible. So I think this is really the interesting time in athletics where everything's on the table. We're not going to be happy with the solutions, but I think an attempt needs to be made to try to honor, you know, you make a commitment to a student athlete in whatever sport, even if it's a tennis or a golf or a swimming or cross country where it's not revenue, you've got to make that commitment to them and you've got to try to field some some type of competition I just don't know what the answer is, but I think we're starting to see some people discuss what those options might be. Bob, appreciate the insight as always. Uh, you got a happy hour tomorrow night for the Osceola. I'll let you plug that on the way out. I, Keith and I may join. Well, I can't speak for Keith. I may join. We are raising virtual cold beer, uh, <laughs> virtual cold beers Thursday at 6 p.m., uh, jump on over to the website on our message board. We'll have the information. We'll also have it on our Facebook pages uh, later on Wednesday. So I think what we want to do is just kind of hang out with fans, with subscribers, talk a little bit of athletics, football, the NFL draft, kind of get together and see how everybody's doing and and catch up. And, uh, you know, seeing everybody on zoom, I think is nice. It kind of keeps us connected to each other. Best part is those are virtual calories, so my waistline won't even be affected. Bob, we'll talk to you again next week, and we'll come back, finish up Front Row Knowles right after this. Yeah, running down a dream that never would come to me. Working on a mystery, going wherever it leads. Running down a dream. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Keith, really good conversation with Wes and Bob, so we don't have much time to react. I'll just give you the blanket, open-ended, anything that really hit home or struck a chord with you. Well, I think when you talk about cost savings, one of the things that's going to happen for the non-revenue Olympic sports is that instead of having the rosters that you're used to having, because their scholarships are limited, so like in track and field and cross-country, you may have a roster of 60 or 70 kids that you're supporting, even though a much lesser number of them are on scholarship. I think you're going to have to reduce that. I mean, just look at the basketball team. We carried 18, but there's only scholarships for 12. And I think that's one of the things that coaches are going to be faced with in a directive from administration is that uh, those, those preferred walk-ons who do cost you some money from a travel standpoint and a support standpoint, 
you may see some reductions in, in the size of your squads, as well as the things Bob talked about and Wes talked about in terms of travel. We don't have time to get into what may be perceived as fat or things in the budget that the common fan may not know, but I have one comment on the way out, and and I'll mention it in a moment. But first, I want to thank Ron and the folks at Cornerstone Tool and Faster. You can call them at 580-1200. Visit them at 1110 Stuckey Avenue at 3269 Crawfordville Highway. They'll help you with all your do-it-yourself projects. By the way, my list continues. We've now painted the laundry room, uh, the living room. And the kitchen, and I'm moving outside to the deck this weekend, Keith. So and how much input did you have on the colors? Uh, not only did I not have input, I did not request any. I just followed okay. sir. So your marriage is over 10 years now. Here's what I was going to say. Because I didn't so- seek input, I just followed orders, right? I learned that from you. Exactly. All these items that are in the budget now, they're there because of one reason, and it's recruiting. It's because if we don't fly from point A to point B, that kid's not coming here because every other school in the ACC is flying. Or if we don't do X, then the kids won't come here because other schools are doing it. That's always been the justification for a lot of these items in here, whether it's playing high-profile tournaments, whether it's staying in hotels two nights before games instead of one night, whether it's having, you know, all those type things have always been justified by recruiting. So I do wonder, as they get walked back, how much that comes into play. I think you're very astute. I think that is a huge issue that there's going to be some changes to, no question. Yeah, we don't have time to dive deeper in that. But ultimately, that is what has driven everything, just like the facilities conversation. Why would you come here when you don't have the shiniest new toy? Well, because the toy we have is still pretty damn impressive, is the answer when you walk back and look at the budget and the expenses. All right, we're done. He's Keith. I'm Tom. Thanks to Wes. Thanks to Bob. Folks, have a great week. Stay safe. We'll talk to you next week on Front Row Knowles. We don't need no education. We don't need no thought control.